back, guys. I hope you have uh, found a Bible. If you don't have a Bible, it's too far for the ushers to go this morning. But if you actually, seriously, if you live in the Norwich area and you don't have a Bible, if you just send us a, a message, we will bring a Bible to your door this week. Because it's really important that you, you see the Word of God and hear the Word of God for yourself. So we'd love to provide that for you. As, uh, as Neil said, we're in 2 Chronicles chapters 19 and 20 this morning. So if you're uh, they're great. I want to read to you just the first four, not the first four verses, but verses four through seven, and then we'll pray and then we'll get into it together. So Jehoshaphat dwelt at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the mountains of Ephraim, and brought them back to the Lord God of their fathers. Then he set judges in the land throughout all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. And he said to the judges, take heed to do what you are, take heed, I'm sorry, to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord, who is with you in the judgment. Now, therefore, let the fear of the Lord be upon you. Take care and do it, for there is no iniquity with the Lord our God, no partiality, nor taking of bribes. And Father, we pray as we get into your word together, Lord, in, in our living rooms, uh, Lord, uh, with a phone or a TV or a tablet. Father, we thank you that your Holy Spirit isn't limited by our space. And so we pray, Father, that you would make yourself known to us as we open up your word and we study it together. Father, I pray for any who are joining us, maybe for the first time, or are just kind of wanting to see what this Jesus stuff is about. We pray, Lord, that you would use your word to show them that. And we pray, Father, that you would help today, help today's time in your word to encourage us to choose the fear of the Lord. Please, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to read to you a psalm, Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. Now, if you remember from a couple weeks ago when Andy Higgins was teaching uh, uh, 2 Chronicles. He left off in chapter 19, verse 3 of 2 Chronicles. And if you remember, in chapter 18, there was a situation where uh, Jehoshaphat had aligned himself with the king of Israel. Had Jehoshaphat, who's the king of Judah, had aligned himself with the king of Israel, who was a wicked king, and was going to battle with him, and got himself in a situation where he agreed with the king to himself, Jehoshaphat, dress as a king, yet the other king would dress normally. And then, of course, their enemies, who they were fighting against, wanted to just kill the king. And so they're coming after Jehoshaphat, thinking that he's the king of Israel, thinking that he's Ahab, the king of Israel. And what happens is, Jehoshaphat cries out to God. He realizes he's in a situation he didn't want to be in, a situation that was quite dangerous, and he cries out to God, and God rescues him. In fact, God even uses this to, uh, to make sure that he brings judgment on the king of Israel, who was, of course, a wicked king. And so, in the first part of chapter 19, after Jehoshaphat goes back to returns to Jerusalem, a prophet comes and says to him, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? He says, Therefore the wrath of God is upon you. Nevertheless, he says, Give God judgment, but there's forgiveness 
from the Lord. God sees that, that you are humble and he's willing to forgive. Now what we see in the section we're going to look at today from verses 19, chapter 19, verse 4, all the way through chapter 20, is we see Jehoshaphat is responding to this forgiveness he's received from God, this fresh mercy from God, and he's responding with the fear of God. Now Jehoshaphat didn't, read, didn't write Psalm 130, verses 3 and 4, that was David, but what Jehoshaphat did is he experienced these words. He knew that God had shown him great mercy, that God had forgiven him, and so he chose the fear of the Lord. Now the book of Proverbs talks about the fear of the Lord. It's one of the main themes in the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom. And even in the first chapter, we see this, this taking place in the first chapter of, of, of Proverbs. It says, For the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. It says, Because they, that is those who are fools, hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. It goes on to say, Therefore they shall eat the fruit of their way. In other words, they'll reap what they sow. They'll, they'll experience the consequences of their actions. Now, this is important for us to, to recognize because when we're talking about the fear of the Lord, we're talking about something that is a response to what God's already done for us, but it's also something we need to choose to do. We need to choose to see God as He is. And the great thing about this section is Jehoshaphat gives us some great insight, or, or from his life we get to learn what it really means to choose the fear of the Lord. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Now, if you're tuning in uh, this morning and you're thinking, hey, this is kind of new to me, the fear of God, that sounds like an off-putting thing to you. You need to understand that we're not talking about just being afraid of God. It is that. It's not less than that, but it's much more than that. The fear of God is about us seeing God as He is and responding to Him as we ought to. And we're going to see that as we get into this. So I want to give you four things that Jehoshaphat teaches us about choosing the fear of the Lord. So, pick it up in verse 4 again. We see Jehoshaphat, he's in Jerusalem, and he leaves the, the Jerusalem, and he goes out among the people, he begins to kind of this tour around, to call God's people back to the Lord, call Judah back to the Lord God of their fathers. And the way he does this is, he, he sets up these judges in all, all throughout the land, in these different areas of the land, to make sure that there's a righteous judgment going on. That there's justice that's prevailing. In fact, in a very real way, Jehoshaphat is exhorting these leaders that he set up, these judges, to make sure that they are representing the justice of God. In fact, he says in verse 6, Take heed to what you are doing, for you do not judge for man, but for the Lord. And therefore, he says, here's the motivation he wants them to have. He says, therefore, let the fear of God be upon you. And he says this about the God that they're to fear. He says, there is no iniquity in the Lord our God. In other words, our God is a God of justice. He always does what is right. And so really what Jehoshaphat wants these judges to do is to make sure that they are representing the justice of God. They're not just coming up with arbitrary laws or, or coming up with what they think might be the most socially beneficial. They're saying, what is the justice of God? What is God want for the people he's made and for the people he's in covenant with. And then we see in verses 8 to 11 that he also begins to instruct these, these judges very specifically. It says in verse 8, Moreover in Jerusalem, for the judgment of the Lord and for the controversies, Jehoshaphat appointed some of the Levites and the priests, some of the chief fathers of Israel. And when they returned to Jerusalem, and he commanded them, saying, Thus 
you shall act, notice again, in the fear of the Lord, faithfully and with a loyal heart. Whatever case comes to you from your brethren who dwell in the cities, uh, whether of bloodshed or offenses against law or commandment, that would be scripture, against statutes or ordinances, you shall warn them lest they trespass against the Lord and wrath come upon you and your brethren. Do this and you will not be guilty. And he says, take notice. And Moriah, the chief priest, is over you in all the matters of the Lord. And Zebediah, the son of Ishmael, the ruler of the house of Judah, for all the king's matters. Also the Levites will be officials before you. Behave courageously and the Lord will be with the good. So, so here's what he, Joseph is doing. He's saying to these guys who set up as judges, he's saying, what I want you to do is I want to make, he says, I want you to make sure that you're actually submitting yourself to the word of God. That you're not just kind of bringing out your opinions, what you think is right, what you think is just, but you're observing what God says about this. Now, this, this reality, Jehoshaphat setting up these judges and leaders, calling them to represent the justice of God, calling them to submit to the word of God, this kind of teaches us the first thing, uh, what it means to choose the fear of the Lord. It means that we hold God's truth above all others. That yes, we might have our opinions, or we might have uh, what seems to be intuitive to us, but we measure that through what God's truth says. Yes, we might read the scriptures and come up with our own interpretations, but we submit ourselves to what God's word actually says, and we don't put our interpretation over what God's word says. This is really important. It's important, one, because of the time that we live in, it's, it's a common thing right now where people are wanting to say, give their own interpretations of what Scripture says. They're wanting to bring forth and say, this is what's happening here and this is what's happening there. It's a time when we are feeling insecure. It's a time when we are wondering, God, what are you actually doing in this time? And it's important for us not to put any other truth above what God has said. That we stick to what God says about these things. Now, it's interesting because I, I want you guys to understand this. This is not just Jehoshaphat saying, let's bring in these rules. Let's bring in these laws. He really wants God's people to know God's justice. To know God's mercy. And it reminds me of what Jesus said to the religious leaders of his day. Because the religious leaders in his day were concerned about laws and rules. Specifically, they wanted people to obey God's laws and rules. The problem was, they focused on things that were minor, instead of focusing on what the main themes of those rules, laws of God's word is. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23 to the religious leaders of his day. He says, What sorrow awaits you, teachers of the religious law, and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, he calls them. For you are careful to tithe the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the most important aspects of the law, justice, mercy, and faith. You see, what, what Jehoshaphat was setting up in Judah was leaders who would make sure that people stuck to the main things. They focused on what does God's word tell us about God? How can we trust him and follow him more closely? That's what it means to fear the word, to fear the Lord. To fear the Lord means we say, God, your truth is above all others. So what happens next in verse 20, or chapter 20, verse 1? It says, it happened after this, that is after the judges set up, after there's justice beginning to develop in the land. It says, after this, 
that the people of Moab and the people of Ammon and the others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Then some came and told Jehoshaphat, saying, A great multitude is coming against you from beyond the sea, from Syria. And they are in Hazazon Tamar, which is En Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared. Now, this is interesting. It's interesting because uh, the, the, the author of Chronicles wants us to see that when Jehoshaphat hears this news of his enemies coming against him, that Jehoshaphat was afraid, that he was scared. Now, I, I want you to know that this was a very serious circumstance that, that they were experiencing, that Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah were experiencing. There should be a map that you hopefully will see of, of where Judah is as a nation. And you can see that there's many uh, of, of these tribes, the Ammonites, and the Moabites, and these others, that were going to cross the Dead Sea or go around the Dead Sea and come into Judah around them. So it's really three nations against one. And remember, Judah is a very small part. They're just two tribes of the former 12 tribes of Israel. And so they're in a really tough place. This is a serious situation. But I want you to also notice that what, what Jehoshaphat does here, and, and I think the author of, of Chronicles wants us to see this, is in his fear he seeks the Lord. He's honest about how difficult the situation is. Jehoshaphat isn't ignoring the fact that this could be serious for them. This could be very dangerous to have all these nations come against him. Jehoshaphat's what he's going to do as he, as he leads the God's people in prayer, and we'll look at that in a minute. Well, notice that part of the prayer he's doing, or a type of prayer he's using, is what we call a prayer of lament. The Psalms are full of prayers of lament. If you're following our Bible reading plan, uh, in fact, if you're not, you can also read this in Psalm 88. If you read Psalm 88, you, you see this psalm where the author is writing about just trying to find God when he's feeling completely despondent. When he's not knowing what's going on. And what's interesting about Psalm 88 as a psalm of lament is really that psalm, it doesn't tie up nice and neat at the end. It doesn't end with the psalmist knowing that God's completely in control or seeing God's rescue. He's just lamenting about, God, this is so hard. Where are you in this? And this is important because this brings us to the second, uh, the second thing that we learn from Jehoshaphat about choosing the fear of the Lord. And that is... Jehoshaphat was lamenting over the dangerous situation. In other words, Jehoshaphat is setting himself to seek God, and that seeking God includes lamenting over the difficulty of the situation. Some of you are maybe feeling like uh, you're wanting to ignore how serious the coronavirus is. You're wanting to believe that COVID-19 hopefully won't impact you because you're just trusting in the Lord. You know, you, you need to know it's okay to know that you're in danger. The Bible doesn't encourage us to ignore dangers. It encourages us to recognize how serious our circumstances are. That's part of lament. It's healthy for us to be honest about our fears. It's a part of us seeking God, is to be honest about how much we need Him. We, we, we see, though, here's what exactly what he does. Verse 3 again of chapter 20. Joseph feared, and it says, And he set himself to seek the Lord, and he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord. And from all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now this is important because what's happening here is, as, as Jehoshaphat is lamenting about how difficult the situation is, he calls the whole nation of Judah together for prayer and fasting. 
He says, let's come together and let's seek the Lord. You know, I don't, I don't know that we're ever going to see in England the prime minister calling for a day of prayer and fasting or the parliament calling for a day of prayer and fasting. But we don't need to wait for them to call for that before we commit ourselves to prayer and fasting. This is, again, part of seeking after God and part of even lamenting is that we, we are saying, God, it's you that we need. It's, it's amazing how much clarity comes from difficulty. When we're in really serious circumstances, we begin to realize what's really important, what's not important. And I think it's also important for us to see, in fact, the author really wants the first readers to see that who they need to call in is not just some generic God, but the God who made covenant with them, the God of the Scriptures, the Lord God. We're going to see in just a minute that this is part of seeking God is recognizing that it's the God of the scriptures that we need to seek. It's the God who's revealed himself that we need to seek. But I also want to point out quickly that that when it says all of Judah came came together, this wasn't just the men coming together. It wasn't just a situation where the, the, the heads of families were coming together. This is all of Judah. In fact, if you drop down to verse 13, it says specifically, now all Judah with their little ones, their wives and their children stood before the Lord. Again, this tells us something about lamenting. Something about seeking our God. If we're going to lament over the seriousness of our situation, there's something healthy about us learning to do that together as families. Now, I know we don't want to scare our little ones with information that's hard for them to understand, but we do want to be real about how things are difficult. I, I, can, say, uh, I can testify firsthand of, of the times when we were in difficult places as a family, and we brought that up in family prayer, and when God answered those family prayers, our, the faith of our children was built up. It's good for us to do this together, to lament the situation together. So what happens? Jehoshaphat brings all these, all of Judah together, even the, the, the children, and he begins to pray. Verse 5, Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is, not, is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Now understand what Jehoshaphat is doing. He's, he, I want you to kind of try to picture him praying for the nation. Representing all their fears as they understand that they're going to be invaded by three nations. That what's going on here is not just some sort of religious platitude. But he is desperate to see God move. And the God he's seeking is the God who rules over all. Now, this is important because you, you may not understand this, but when this was written, when, when, when Israel was founded as a nation, when the creator God reveals himself to Israel, at that point in human history, most people weren't worshiping the creator God. They were worshiping local gods. They were worshiping gods of their location, gods that had to do with their life experience. The way people created and cultures created gods in that day was they would uh, basically see what was important in their life and they would deify it. So if if having lots of children was important, they would uh, make a god of fertility and worship the god of fertility. If having crops uh, uh, that came on a regular basis or the weather being a certain way was important, they would create a god about the weather and they would worship that god. 
what we see that's different between the gods of the world and the, and the God of the scripture is the God of the scripture comes and reveals himself to, to, to his people in a very specific and supernatural way. And Jehoshaphat is praying this God, all right, God, aren't you the God who's not stuck in one location, who doesn't just have some kind of small specific power? Are you not the God over everything? Are you not the God who rules over all? I want you guys to, to feel the, the desperation in his voice. And, and, I, and I hope that you can be honest about your own desperation. And I hope you can seek this God. In fact, uh, you know, if you, again, are, are just new to this whole Jesus thing and you're thinking about this stuff for the first time, I hope you know we're not calling any of you to be religious. The last thing we, that you need is just some sort of platitudes or ideas or concepts that kind of make you feel better for a short period of time. What we need is the living God who rules over all to intervene in our circumstance. This is who Jehoshaphat is crying out to. But not just the God who's over all, but also the God who initiates relationships. Look at verse 7. He says, Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants notice of Abraham, your friend forever? So here Jehoshaphat in his prayer is thinking all the way back to when God first initiated a covenant. When God chooses Abraham, and Abraham was worshiping the moon god at that time, the god of Ur, but the, the God of the scriptures, the creator God, interrupts his life, reveals himself to Abraham, and says, Abraham, I want to make a promise to you that only I can keep. And Abraham believes God. He begins to follow God. And eventually, he promises, uh, uh, God promises Abraham, I'm going to give you this whole land. And if you know the Old Testament, you know the story. Eventually, Israel inherited this whole land. But it's interesting that Jehoshaphat goes back to Abraham because the thing that he brings up here is the fact that Abraham was known as a friend of God. That the creator of God didn't just want to make a promise to show himself to the world, but the creator of God wanted to know Abraham specifically. This is the God that, that Jehoshaphat is, is crying out to. This is the God of Scripture. The God who initiates relationship. And it could it be that one of the things that God intends to do with this virus is initiate relationship with anybody who's willing to help people to think about something more than just their local gods, their jobs, their families, their retirement plan. That God wants to use this crisis to initiate a relationship. This is the God that Jehoshaphat is praying to. Look at verse 8 and 9. And they dwell in it. This is God's people. Dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary, Jehoshaphat prays. A sanctuary in it for your name, saying... If disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear and save. Now, what's happening here, if you guys have been with us in these studies in Chronicles, you know that when Solomon built this temple, David wanted to build the temple, remember Solomon's father, uh, uh, God basically said, David, sorry, not you, but your son Solomon will build this. Then God creates this covenant with, with Solomon. Solomon builds the temple. And when the, Solomon is dedicating the temple, he's saying, God, may this temple be the place that when, when your people look to it and they cry out to you, you hear. In other words, let this temple be the thing that guarantees your people that you're going to actually hear and answer their prayers. 
And of course, we know what happens when that happened. God uh, uh, said amen in a sense by consuming the sacrifices in a supernatural way uh, when Solomon prayed this prayer as a way to say, yes, I'm going to do that. So Jehoshaphat is praying. He's saying, God, here we are in front of your temple. This is meant to be the guarantee that you're going to hear and answer our prayers. And we're saying, please hear us. This is the God we pray to. The God who hears his people. I, I can't say this uh, strongly enough. The God of the Bible is, a, is the living God who actually hears and answers prayer. That he cares for us. That he's listening. There's a great promise in 1 John. It's not going to be on the screen, but you can look it up later. 1 John chapter 5. There's this confidence, uh, there's this promise that says, and this is the confidence that we have, that, uh, that when we pray, God hears us. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we have the things that we've asked. And it's interesting because when, when, it, when the author, when John uses this word, he hears us, it's a word that can mean to stoop down and listen. And it's this picture of a father who, who bends down to listen to the, the request of his child. That you have God's ear. And what is the temple that guarantees that? It's not church. It's not some building. It's Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the temple of God in a very real sense. Jesus came, God taking on human flesh in a sense. God indwelling this human Jesus. God the Son indwelling Jesus. He is the temple of God. And what he's done, who he is and what he's done guarantees us that we can have access to God and he hears our prayer. Jehoshaphat is praying to the God who hears the prayers of his people. We need to pray to that same God who's revealed himself in Jesus Christ, the God who hears. Jehoshaphat continues to pray. In verse 10, it says, And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. Now, a bit of history. He's praying about their history. When Israel was coming out of Egypt, out of slavery, going into Canaan, into the promised land, there were certain tribes that God says, look, don't destroy these people. Leave them be. Let them be. You, you do have the power to do it, but I'm saying don't do it. Show mercy to them. And so these are the people that they showed mercy to. And God had his motivations for that, and so they obeyed God and they did that. But the same people now, many generations later, are coming together and they want to destroy Israel. And so he continues to pray. Jehoshaphat continues to pray in verse 12. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? And here's what he says. Notice. For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. Now this is really important. It's really important for us to get this and, and see Jehoshaphat in choosing the fear of the Lord. He said in himself to seek after God, and he's seeking after the God that he knows helps the weak. It's almost like he's saying to, to God, God, we could have taken these guys out several generations ago, but now we can't. Now we're weak and we can't do it. And so we're looking to you. God, we don't have the power and we don't even know what to do here. You've put us in a situation that you're going to have to deliver us. And they're praying this way. Now, again, this is the second thing that we're, we're noticing that we learn from Joseph out of. But what does it mean to choose the fear of the Lord? It means that we set ourselves to seek after God, not just any God, 
Not just someone that we, not a God of our own imagination, not a God that just someone has told us about, but we seek the creator God, the God of the scriptures, the God who rules over all, the God who initiates relationship, the God who hears his people, the God who helps the weak. This is the God that we're seeking after. Jehoshaphat is praying to the God who has revealed himself. Now, at this point, you might be thinking, well, that doesn't sound like fear. That sounds like faith. And you'd be right. Because this is what it means to fear the Lord. When we think about what he thinks more than anything else, we hold his truth, his opinion above all others, that we seek him in faith. To fear God is to seek him in faith, to believe this. Listen to this. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. In Hebrews eleven six, 6, it says, Without faith, it is impossible to please God for who would ever draw near to God must believe that he exists. That is, he exists in how he's revealed himself to be. And that he rewards those who seek him. This is what it means to choose the fear of the Lord. It means though, even though we're in very difficult circumstances, we are afraid of what might happen to us. We say, God, we're coming to you. We're looking to you and not our circumstances. Now, Here's the third thing. Choosing the fear of the Lord means we see God do what he promised. See, it wasn't a situation just where the people of Judah are praying to God together and they go, oh, I feel better now. Uh, I guess I'll go home. No, this is a situation where they need God to act. And part of fearing the Lord is that we get to see God act. Look at verse 14 of chapter 20. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph in the midst of the assembly. Now you might wonder, why do we need to know all this guy's genealogy? Uh, we don't really know anything about Jehaziel except what it says in this verse. But this verse is important. Remember the first readers of, of 1 and 2 Chronicles were those who were, uh, had been in captivity in Babylon uh, Jerusalem had been destroyed, and they're now gone out of captivity. They're gone back to Jerusalem, and they're rebuilding Jerusalem, and it's a bit of a mess. And they're wondering, is God really still with us? We used to be this strong first world country, and now we're this weak, pathetic third world country. And it's, what's going to happen? And so the whole point of 1 and 2 Chronicles, remember, is about encouraging a generation that, listen, God is still with you, and God's going to help rebuild what he's promised to give you. And so by giving this whole genealogy, the author is reminding the first readers, listen, this is someone who God has ordained. You still have ancestors related to this guy. There are still Levites around whom God wants to speak through. So that's part of what he's doing here. But what happens, the Spirit comes upon Jehaziel and he begins to prophesy. He begins to say what God wants him to say. Verse 15. And he said, listen, all you of Judah and you inhabitants of Jerusalem and you King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them and they will surely come up by the ascent of Ziz, that's a, talking about a geographical place, and you will find them at the end of the brook where the wilderness of Jerulu. And you will not need to fight in this battle. Position yourself, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord who is with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord is with you. 
Now, you need to understand something. This is, this is not just some sort of specific, subjective prophecy that Jehaziel is bringing forth. He's actually uh, saying, under the Spirit of God, he's saying to Judah what God commanded the priest to say in Deuteronomy chapter 20. Now, again, that verse isn't going to be on your screen, but you can look it up, Deuteronomy chapter 20, verses 2 to 4. And what you'll see is this high priestly prayer, this prayer for people about to go out to battle. And Jehaziel is saying, listen, this is what God says. God's word to you is still here. So he is prophesying, but he's doing so according to what God has already said in his word. See, God promises to act according to his word. This is why it's really dangerous for us to be over speculative about what's happening right now. One of the things we'll talk about in, uh, in videos that we'll post on our YouTube page soon is we'll have a question and answer time. And one of the things that we're going to talk about is uh, how does this COVID-19 relate to the idea that we're in the end times? How does that fit? How does it not fit? And so that we can see what does God's word say? What can we trust that he's actually doing right now and not speculate on things that he hasn't said? So this great promise goes to Judah, right? Judah, here's what God's going to do for you. Don't be afraid. God's going to be, God's with you. He's going to fight for you. And what happens in verse 18? And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem bowed before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites and the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Uh, Did you see the two things that happened here? That when God makes this promise, they immediately take God at his word. This is what they do. Hey, God God says he's going to do this. We're going to believe he's going to do this. And so what do they do? They immediately bow themselves down in this humble, exuberant praise. And I love this because there's this combination of humility and exuberance is something that we don't really put together, do we? We think if we're humble, we're going to be somber and quiet and, oh, I'm just going to bow my head and be humble. Or I'm going to be exuberant. Hey, good things are happening. But here we see a combination. Why? Because they were humble about the fact that only God could save them. And they were exuberant about the fact that God would indeed save them. Those things came together. They, they come together. Now, it's interesting. We know this wasn't just kind of hype or something they were feeling at the time because what we read in verse 20, it says, they, they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God and you shall be established. Believe his prophets and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord, who should Praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Now this is important. It's important because part of, part of what we, the reason we know they took God at their word is they continued to choose praise over panic. This is again, this is not Jehoshaphat or the nation of Judah underplaying or downplaying the seriousness of the situation. They know how serious their situation is. It is beyond them. But this is them taking God at his word and saying, God, you've promised us in your word you're going to be with us. You're, ultimate, you're going to give us the ultimate victory, that, that this thing is not going to prosper over us, that you know your plans for us. 
And we trust you to the point that we're going to praise. We're going to praise. Now, what happens next? As they go out the next morning and they begin to praise, knowing that God's going to believe in and God's going to have to fight for them. Verse 22 says, Now when they had begun to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come up against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to the place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies fallen on the earth. No one had escaped. Now, this is kind of a mind-blowing situation. When it says the Lord said ambushes, we don't know for sure if this was some sort of angelic help or just the fact that these people were so confused that they began to attack each other. But the ultimate result was all the enemies of God who were coming against Judah, they actually ended up imploding, coming against each other. They self-destructed. In other words, when, when Judah said, okay, God, we take you out your word. You're going to have to figure this out. You're going to have to sort this out. What happens is their enemies self-destructed. They didn't have to fight. They just had to watch and wait and continue to seek God and praise him. And their enemies self-destructed. So then what happens? In verse 25 to 28, listen to what happens. It says, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry it away. They were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. And on the fourth day, assembled in the valley of Barakah, uh, uh, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of the place was called the valley of Barakah until this day. Then they returned every man of, uh, of Judah and Jerusalem with Jehoshaphat in front of them to go back to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. And so they came to Jerusalem with string instruments and harps and trumpets to the house of the Lord. So, so what's happening here is, of course, all these dead bodies, it's a gruesome picture. They go and they take all the things that are of value, all the jewels and all the weapons and things that are of value. And there was so much spoil. Why they had all the spoil with them, we don't know. But there was so much spoil, it took them three days to gather it all. Now, there's two things going on here. One, there is this reality that uh, the enemies of God's people actually ended up benefiting God's people. But there's also an echoing here that, that the author of Chronicles is, is wanting the readers to think back that this is what God had done when he first delivered Israel out of Egypt. When he pulls them out of Egypt, what happens? They plunder the Egyptians. They leave with all this spoil. And so he's trying to draw a parallel here to say what God has always done, he's continuing to do for his people. That what the enemy means for evil, God's using it for good. That's what he's doing. Now, this is what we have to understand. That God overcomes our enemies, not just in the nick of time, but he does so because he wants to underscore the fact that he's using what our enemies have against us or what bad circumstances could do to us to actually benefit us. Guys, God's not wasting your pain. God doesn't, didn't allow COVID-19. I'm not saying God caused it, but God did allow it God allowed this for a reason. Why did he allow it? One of the reasons is to help God's people grow, to learn to trust him more. As well as I said before, maybe it's to help people who haven't known the Lord to come to know him. 
There's something else here, though, that's really important I want you to see. Because remember, fearing the Lord means we get to see God fulfill His promises, to do what He promises. Look at verse 29. It says, And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, and for his God gave him rest all around. Do you see what happened here? There must have been at least some survivors from these tribes that, or from these nations that came against Judah. Because when they go back to their nations, and when the other nations that surround Judah hear about how God intervened, how God provided, how God kept his people, they, they experienced something of the fear of God. They acknowledge, man, God's at work with you. There's something about your God that's greater than the gods that we serve. Folks, this is what I believe God wants to do through us, His people, during this time. Listen, I am not making any promises. I don't believe the Scripture makes any promises that this virus isn't going to affect us. It's going to affect us like it affects everybody else. But I'll tell you what it's going to do. It's going to, there is a guarantee it's going to benefit us. As we, we, we follow the Lord, as we are willing to suffer for His namesake, as we're willing to help people even if it causes us suffering, God's going to use that. How do I know? Because that's exactly what the scripture says. Listen to this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 14 to 16. It says, But even if you should suffer for what is right, you are blessed. This is in the context of persecution, but I think it applies to our situation as well. He says, Do not fear their threats. Do not be frightened. But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, we need to be prepared to give a reason for the hope. And this is the hope we need to have. Listen, church, listen. The hope that we have in Jesus is not a hope of avoiding pain. The hope that we have in Jesus is the hope that no matter what pain or suffering we endure, it's all temporary. It's this great hope that's based as Jesus being Lord, and we know Jesus is Lord over all because He rose from the dead, and He's going to resurrect us from the dead. That's the hope that we have. Death has no sting over us. We can suffer no matter what the suffering is, just like everybody else suffers, and we can have compassion on those who suffer and be courageous to help those who suffer. Why? Because we know for us, death is not the end. There's a resurrection. You see, if your hope, if you, if you claim to be a Jesus follower, a follower and your hope is, I'm not going to suffer because I believe in Jesus, you're, you have the wrong hope. But if your hope is, I know that even if I suffer, the Lord is with me and He will use my suffering for my good and the good of others and for His own glory, man, you can have a hope that people will, will be able to see. And as they see that you have, like Jehoshaphat and Judah had, rest all around in the midst of difficulty, when they see that, they're going to say, why do you still have hope? And you can say, because of Jesus. And I just want to say, if you're tuning in to us, again, and this Jesus stuff is new to you, this is it. We don't have hope because we're better than anybody else. We don't have hope because we think this stuff isn't going to affect us. We have hope as Jesus followers because Jesus is alive 
And He's guaranteed our resurrection. We have eternal life, a relationship with Him right now that can never end. Even death can't take it away from us. That's our hope. That's why we're willing to suffer. Fearing God means you get to see God do what He's promised. Do you know what God's promised? Church, I'm talking to you, believers, Jesus followers. Do you know what God's promised? What has Jesus promised? He's promised never to leave you nor forsake you. That even means, listen, that even means when you are beginning to be fearful and fretting about COVID-19 as a Jesus follower, he still hasn't left you. Let that be your hope. Let that be your hope. Now lastly, the author of, of Chronicles gives us this kind of epitaph about Jehoshaphat, and it's really kind of parallels 1 Kings chapter 22. And it's important that we recognize that because 1 Kings 22 gives us some insight to what's going on here. So let me quickly read this. In verse 31 it says, So Jehoshaphat was king over Judah. He was 35 years old when he came, became king. He reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shilhai. And he walked in the ways of his father Asa. He did not turn aside from doing it, from doing what was right in the sight of the Lord. Nevertheless, the high, places were, uh, the, high, the high places were not taken away, for as yet the people had not directed their hearts to the God of their fathers. Now, it's interesting here because the author wants us to see something about Jehoshaphat. He wants us to see that Jehoshaphat was a good guy. We have this old saying, I don't know if it's a British, you guys have this in Great Britain or not, I haven't heard anybody say it here, but there's this old saying in America where people will it's like an exclamation. They'll say, jump in Jehoshaphat. I don't know if you've ever heard that before. It's like in old cartoons and stuff. Jump in Jehoshaphat. It's really kind of a silly thing. And the reason they say that, it's this idea that Jehoshaphat jumped from, I'm with the Lord, I'm not with the Lord. I'm with the Lord, I'm not with the Lord. But actually, that's not how Chronicles shows him. Jehoshaphat's problem was not that he was, he was divided in his heart's loyalty towards God. His problem was he didn't always have discernment about when to say no when he aligned himself with people. Now, even here it says that it's, it's, it's one is to say Jehoshaphat was someone who trusted God, who loved God, who wanted to follow God, do what was right. And one of the things that kept him from doing this or kept uh, him from being as successful in this as he wanted to be as a leader was the fact that God's people hadn't responded. In other words, what we see in this picture of Jehoshaphat is someone who responds to the chasing of God. Someone who responds to the mercy of God and the forgiveness of God, but he's among a people who didn't really respond the same way. That even after God had delivered them, they're still wanting to keep their high places. They still want to, yeah, okay, I'll worship God, but I also want to worship these other little gods. Interesting. It's, a, it's as if it's the author wants to warn the people that are first reading and this, if the Holy Spirit wants to warn us, listen, even if you acknowledge the God of the Scriptures, doesn't mean you're not capable of still having little gods that you need to deal with. And then we read this in verse 35 to 37. After this, Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, allied himself, or allied himself, with Ahaziah, the king of Israel, who acted very wickedly. And you're thinking, oh no, he's doing it again. And here's what happened. He allied himself with them to make ships to go to Tarshish, and they made the ships in Ezion-Geber. But Eleazar, the son of Dadavan, 
of Mereshah prophesied against you, Asaphat, saying, because you have allied yourself against, or allied yourself with, uh, as, uh, whatever that guy's name is, the Lord has destroyed your works, and the ships were wrecked, so that they were not able to go to Tarshish. Now here's something you have to understand. This is where the, one, the, the, the chronicle of 1 Kings, or the story of 1 Kings is important. In 1 Kings chapter 22, here's what it says. Jehoshaphat also built a fleet of trading ships to sail to Ophar for gold. In other words, after the victory, he thought, hey, it's time to open trade again. But the, the ships never set sail, for they met with disaster in the home port of Ezion-Geber. At one time, uh, Ahaziah, the, the son of Ahab, had proposed to Jehoshaphat, let my men sail with your men in the ships. But Jehoshaphat had refused the request. In other words, the picture that Kings gives us gives us insight to hear that what happened is when Jehoshaphat makes a stupid alignment again, he's, he's not being wise or discerning about who he's aligning himself with, God chastens him by having the ships be destroyed. And so then he says, you know what, I can't do this. And he walks away from that um, alliance. Now, th- why is this important? Because this is the fourth thing that we learn from Jehoshaphat about what it means to choose the fear of the Lord. It means that we're thankful that God chastens us. Listen, I'm not saying that God has allowed the COVID-19 virus to chasten us as believers. But I am saying that God wants to use the COVID-19 virus to chasten us as believers. In other words, part of the, the issue that we have, as we'll talk about in the question and answer video, is the fact that we live in a broken world and creation itself cries out to be redeemed and part of the crying out is the corruption that's there. A virus like this being part of that corruption. But also, listen, there's a reality that God wants to use this to get our attention. And if if you're a Jesus follower, if you recognize that God is worthy to be feared, that His opinion should be above all, that that, that we we should want to, to... cry out to Him in desperate prayer, that, that we, should, we want to see Him do what He's promised to do, we should also be thankful that He chastens us. That He even allows the pain in our lives so that we would turn back to Him. Folks, listen. This is a chance for us. We're in a season right now that's going to get even more difficult. And it's a chance for us to turn to our God and say, God, thank you. Thank you that with you, that there is forgiveness, that you might be feared. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us. We thank you for your word that shows us these things. Lord, we thank you above all for Jesus. Jehoshaphat uh, was a good king, but he lacked discernment. Jesus, the king of kings, always does what's right. We can trust Him. We can follow Him. And Father, I pray for anyone who may be watching today who doesn't yet know You, whether they go to Servants Church or not. Lord, would today be the day of salvation? Would today be the day when they recognize that we serve a God who is quick to show mercy, to forgive, even when we put ourselves in stupid situations? And that as we receive that forgiveness, Lord, may we choose to fear You to reverence you above all things, to say, God, it's you and you alone we want to follow. Please, Lord, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to close today with a song. 
It's uh, a song I heard in 1987. And when I heard this song in 1987, the guy who was singing it said, this is a really old song. So I don't know how old the song is, but it's an old song. It's a great, simple chorus. And I encourage you to treat this as your prayer today. God bless.
Let's just sing that chorus again. Let's sing that one more time. And John will come up and close us in prayer. He who delights in the word of the Lord shall be blessed in all of his ways. He who delights in the word of the Lord shall be blessed in all of his ways. For the friendship of God is with those who fear him. So we choose the fear of the Lord. Choose the word of the Lord. Father, we thank you so much that you sent Jesus, Lord, to, to die for us, to bring us to you. Lord, we have all acted foolishly. We've aligned ourselves with evil people. We ourselves have been evil people. And yet you so loved us that you gave your only begotten Son. I'm so thankful for that. We know, Lord Jesus, that you said, don't fear him who can destroy the body, but him who can send body and soul into hell. You said that, Lord. So, Father, we want to look to Jesus and what he's done and believe that our sins are forgiven because of what he accomplished on the cross. That our hope is eternal life because he's risen from the dead. Lord, help us to believe this, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. But bless you guys. I just pray that you would continue to seek the Lord this week and enjoy him. If you have any questions that you want answered on the question and answer video, just send us an email. Uh, you can even put it uh, on the comments, and we will see if we can get that done. Hope to see you soon. God bless.